we're still talking about the gifts and the callings of God. Now remember what we have established already, if you have just uh, joined us for the first time today, is that everyone who's here is called by God. There are no special cases. God has called each and every one of us. But there are a few things we need to remember. Number one, not everyone who's alive is in their calling. When you were called by God, the Bible says we were called in Jesus Christ before the foundations of the world. Before you were born, before Adam sinned, God called you in who? In Jesus Christ. God adopted us in Jesus Christ. God planned our lives in Jesus Christ. So when Adam sinned, you and I were born in sin and therefore outside Jesus. And when you are born outside Jesus, all the plans of God are suspended by the fact that you are not in Christ. Are we still okay? And so when we get back to God, we are restored into the calling of God for our lives. Now, does that mean we are going to walk in that call? Not necessarily. It's as good as saying, I'm going to Deben. And you are told that for you to go to Deben, you need to have a car, for instance. So you need to have a means to drive to Deben. And so you get a car. The fact that you now have a car is only an indicator that you may end up in Deben. But it's not a, an assurance that you will end up in Deben. You, you all understand that, right? And so once I mean the in Christ, it doesn't mean the call of God is going to be fulfilled. It means I must then, by faith, start activating the principles and start pursuing God in the call that is upon my life. You remember that? And we said the calling, therefore, is what God has created you to be and to do. So I'm on earth because God wants me to be on earth. To be something and to do something. Basically to his glory. And the call of God, we said, the things that we are supposed to do are already recorded. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ to do what? Good works, which God prepared before hand so that we can so when god says i've called you to be and to do the good works that you are supposed to do are already prepared it means you are not supposed to be innovative about the call of god and creative as most of us are you don't have to be ambitious you only have to be obedient to what is already decided or ordained so most people say, I have, uh, God has called me, but they are not ready to hear the call from him. They are ready to define one and create one for themselves. And I was one of them. And therefore, once you have created your own calling, it's difficult now to go towards what God has called you. Because your identity, you are settled in what you have decided should happen. And like I said, when then God calls you, or you now know the call, 
you start having problems because the very thing that you want is the very thing that scares you most. The will of God. You say, God, I want to do your will, but you've already established your own will and are happy to do it. And so now it's difficult to move from yours to his. This is the revision of what we have said last time. For you to fulfill your calling in God, God has gifted you. Which means there's no one sitting here who has no gifting. And when I say gifting, I know we use these words interchangeably most of the time. But for today, let's just separate them. I'm not talking about talent. I'm not talking about natural talent. I'm not talking about what you have been born, able to do in the natural without the need for the anointing and the spirit of God. Hence, sometimes when we say a person is gifted, we confuse one another. Because in the Bible, most of the time when it speaks about gifts, it talks about spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts, you are not necessarily born with them. They are there from the beginning. Right? But they do not operate naturally. Because the Bible says they are operated as the Spirit of God wills. You understand that type of thing? So there are things I can do naturally. And so when people say he's gifted, maybe they must say he's naturally gifted. The fact that I, you can speak well, you can do something, let's use speaking. If you can speak well and you, you can, you know, extrapolate facts and speak, you know, mysteries, it doesn't make you a good preacher. Because the preaching from the gifting needs the anointing of God. You understand that type of thing? So we can both stand here. One is very eloquent, natural. But he's not spiritually gifted. So we must then say, if we don't want to say he's talented, then let's just say he's naturally gifted. But another one, in, in the same manner, there are people who sing in the church. There are those who sing because they were told they can sing. And they can very well sing. Like, I mean, you know how you witnessed in used to sing, right? You know how Michael Jackson used to sing, right? Yeah, but they were not singing in, under the inspiration and the anointing of the Spirit. So we would not necessarily classify that as a gift as it relates to the call of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God operates the gifts of God in our lives. Are we, are we clear? So today, what I want us to then start on is the nature of the call of God. Most of the time, we say, I am called. And we are called. But the reason we do not fulfill our calling, most of us, is because we have not understood the nature of, of the call itself. So, the idea is to help us to think through the stuff that you will have to face when you are called. And anticipate it so that when it happens, you are not shocked. Sorry. Every one of us, as we have said, is called by God to specific things in life and in the advancement of God's agenda on earth. What you and I are called is to 
come to what God is doing, not start our own thing. You hear that? That is why churches fail, because a person starts a church for him and his family, so that he can leave his children some money out of robbing the rest of us. But friends, when God has called any man or woman of God, he has not called them to initiate anything, but to join what God is doing as his agenda on earth. So the call of God is like marriage. It is a multifaceted uh, affair. And that's open to many misinterpretations or interpretations. All of the people that are in marriage can tell you different stories about marriage. Others say it's good. Others say it's bad. Others say it's challenging. Others say it's a dead end. Others says, yeah. And you know, can I tell you the truth? It's all those things. Whatever they say is true. Why? Because it's their experience. When a person thinks he's married or she's married to a demon, that's his or her experience. That's their experience of marriage. It's like when we all climb the same mountain but look in different directions, our description of what we saw will be different. Those looking this way, they will say, I saw Cosmos City in its splendor. Those who look that way, they say, yes, there was just a squatter camp there. <laughs> Those who look that way, they'll say, Whoa, there was Eagle Canyon. Yo, you're talking about Cosmos City, you're talking about nothing. Look at it. And those who look that way, they'll say, I just saw a big dome. They call it a dome. <laughs> who of us is right? All of us are right. It's a pity that all of us, not all of us, see the best of what we should have seen. But all those facets are true. Is that fine? So there are those who will say, the call of God is just too tough. You either enjoy it or you quit. And many have quit. This approach often results from the real aspect of the call that we need to anticipate. And it, even if we may know what we would, we may not know what we would do in the situation sometimes. There are things, when you do premarital counseling, it does not solve your problems. It helps you anticipate what may happen. How you then deal with that depends on your character and your maturity. And so when people say, ah, hey, the call is tough, they may not have anticipated what they are going through and therefore they did not prepare. But we want to say to you, forewarned is forearmed when it comes to the call of God. And every other thing, count the cost. Others, on the other hand, will depict the call of God as a blissful ride of glory. You know, you know when people say, when you are in God's will in that, you will always be happy and be amply sup supplied. When God calls, God provides. That is also true. But it's an oversimplification of things. It's like someone says, I am happily married. You know that is true. The person is happily married. But that's an oversimplification of what they are dealing with in the marriage. You know, look at your smiles. You know what, what it's like. So, if you oversimplify, you give other people half the picture. 
So today I just want to add bits and pieces. So what can we envisage or expect when working in the call of God for our lives? And the things that I'm going to say, it's not everything there is. Ne? It may not cover everything that happens, but it will help you, you know, have a, a healthier perspective about the call of God. Number one, the call of God is from eternity past, but the revelation thereof in our lives is progressive. God has called you long before. Right? But friends, you don't... I know most of you say, pray for me that I may know the call of God. Very few people actually know promptly what God has called them. Now, I, 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 I'll give you examples. You, you'll just go and read the scriptures for yourself. Paul speaks of the fact that I was a blasphemer when God called me. Right? But then he says, as I was called, God called me in my mother's womb. But at the appointed time, he revealed the call. At the appointed time, Paul was a persecutor of the church. But in Acts chapter 13, it says in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And it mentions their names. You remember that. And amongst them is Paul or rather Saul and Barnabas. Now, when you come to the, the church in Acts and, and you, you meet these leaders and you were to ask them, Jack, what are you called? Paul, what are you called? What are you called to do? You know, what are you called? These leaders in that church, some will say, I am, I, I am called to be a prophet. Others will say, I'm called to be what? A teacher. Others will say, prophet and teacher. You understand that? But here's the truth. Was that they are calling? Because the very next verse, the Bible says, whilst they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul to the work which, to which I have called them. How's that? When you are settled, I'm a prophet. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not what I've called you. And from that day, nowhere else do you find Paul saying, Paul called to be a prophet. No. He says, Paul called to be an apostle. You understand, that was progressive. There was a point that Jesus was a 12-year-old saying, I have to go about by my father's business. But later, when he was baptized and he gets out of the water, the Bible then says, the father confirms, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then you discover that now, he's not just that boy that you knew. He's not a carpenter. And so, there are many things as part of our call that we will have phases, levels that we will go through before you can actually... Hence, for, for me, it is safer not to say, I am called this and this and this. Just serve God. Otherwise, people will end up calling you. How many of us have been called before? Ah, Ndwan, I wonder when you are a worshiper, goddess, you are going to travel the world. Where am I traveling the world? <laughs> People will call you, they will label you, right? Out of the gifting. But remember, the gifts may be in multiples, but the call is not. No one is called to be an apostle, a prophet, no. 
except Jesus. Jesus was the only one. Yeah, but when you are either in a progression of what you are truly called to be, but the gifts will operate as diverse. Paul was operated in prophecy. But he doesn't say Paul called to be a prophet. Paul spoke in tongues. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Ah, but he was not a tongue speaker or a tongue interpreter. Oh, you understand that? So, although in your, your call may encompass many gifts, you are not called to all those things. Just as you are not called to many wives. <laughs> Number two, the call of God is overwhelming. It often induces inadequacy, fear, and excuses in our lives. The antidote to which is faith. All of us, when God calls you, he will not call you into something you are confident to do. Because confidence in self results in pride. And pride comes before fall. God would not ask you to do anything for his glory that does not need him to help you. And therefore, when God has called you, you will feel afraid. As such, most people who seem to be confident normally are not called. That's why you get surprised when pastors want to run away from pastoring and others are just claiming, I'm, I'm called. Oh, you are called. Having to go and check everyone who says prophet so and so and go and check if they prophesy. <laughs> no, honestly. And I don't want to mention names. How many people say I'm apostle so and so? They have not even laid one foundation in any church, never mind planting a church. I'm apostle so and so. But you are sent to yourself. You all understand? So when we are called by God, friends, there will be such the bigness, the magnitude of it scares us. Such that it drives us to faith. And faith, only faith, can remove fear. Have you realized that the things you are supposed to do, let me give an example. If God has given you a gift of the word of knowledge or word of wisdom or encouragement, how many of you God has said, Come and tell us something as a church and you have not done it because you are scared. How many times have you been asked to do something that people see in your life and say, ah, not me. Why? Because you cannot do it in yourself. It needs the anointing of God. Hence, if you hear people say, yeah, me, I'm planting a very big church. You know, okay. Whatever. But in this whole thing, God pours abundant grace in our lives to fulfill the call and supplies us with enough faith to overcome our hesitation. Paul says, abundant grace was poured upon me. A sinner. You know when you think, I, I, I'm too bad to do what God has called me to do. How many of us do not fail? When are you, you are always perfect. Friends, because of the call, the grace is needed. No one of us is always at his or her best. You know, some of us are sitting here. You are sad about your sins from yesterday. 
or for money, this money. But you know, the very grace of God is the one that will make you still feel like doing what God has called you. And then faith arises to help us deal with hesitation. And it may take time. But finally, in most cases, it happens. And the call of God brings inner turmoil within us. How many of us have jobs they like? Only two. Okay. How many of us we are working but we do not necessarily like what we are doing? How many of us that what know that what we are doing is not what we are supposed to be doing but we are scared to leave? I'm sure you understand what inner conflict is. That you, you, you feel that Peter asked Jesus this, this question. He says, what shall we gain those of us who have left houses, brothers, to follow you? There's always a gain factor. A risk factor. Jesus says, brothers, homes, all these things in this life and in the life to come. But with persecution. So there's an inner conflict. Do I leave teaching? Or do I stay? Do I leave the job? What if I don't get a salary for the next six months? You all, you all understand that? Good luck to those who are having that struggle. Here's an encouragement. Some of us have done it. It was painful, but it was worth the pain. Now, we don't stand here and think, Oh, I left this, I left this. We stand here and think God is good. But there will always be that inner conflict. But the peace will flush through us when we receive the call finally. When resistant or run away from, the call of God will induce within the, an individual a sense of meaninglessness and hopelessness. There will be a sense of death looming over you. If you run away from the call, you'll always feel unhappy. And you'll think, I'm going to die or somebody's going to die. If you are going through that, at least now you know one of the reasons. The call of God will often bring this array in the areas of pursuit that are done at its expense. Things will seem to go wrong at every turn. And if you used to touch anything and it turned to gold, when you run away from the call, when you keep shifting it, everything you will touch will start turning into ashes. If you run away, if you know, as those of us here, the, the last category, those that know what God wants them to do, uh, but they are not doing it. Hey, it's as if doors are, are shutting in your face most of the time. You try this business, it does not work. You try this one, it's almost like when it looks successful, something happens. Why? Because you are pursuing stuff at the expense of who you should be and what you should be doing. And here's the funny thing. When you help others, it will work for them. 
But when you try to do it, it works for a short time and then it falls apart. And the enemy will attack the key areas of your life to discredit your testimony. When you want, you are walking in God's call or you accept God's call over your life. He's going to attack your children. You'll be surprised. You love God. You want to serve God. Then your child gets pregnant. Or you're impregnant. Another girl. And you're thinking, ah, oh, not this. And the devil says, what are you going to tell them now? What about your child? How about your finances? You're going to tell people that God blesses you, but look at your debt. He's going to attack you with sicknesses. With He's going to try and discredit everything that you believe about God and the call. The call will demand great personal and family sacrifices. And corporate sacrifices for us as a church. You will see that it's not, ah, it's always nice. Friends, there will be financial sacrifices, time sacrifices, all kinds of sacrifices. And sometimes, if you make the individual sacrifices and your family is not with you, your marriage will break. That is why most people trying to walk in their call, husband and wife, one of them says, choose between me and the church. And sometimes your own parents say, we don't want this in here. You either stay here or you go and live in that church. But there will always be those demands and sacrifices. The fulfillment of the call in our lives warrants tenacity and strong personal discipline, especially in our private lives. Paul says, because of the call, speaking to the Corinthians in chapter 1, he says in verse 8, friends, I don't want you to be ignorant of the things we suffered when we were in Asia. We despaired even of life itself. Sometimes the calling can feel like a life sentence. Of hard toil, he said. But he says, this happened so that we do not trust in ourselves. But in God, who is able to rescue us and he will continue to rescue us. And I cannot begin to tell you how many, even just in your life as a Christian, you know how many times you've suffered stuff. And God has rescued you. Now imagine just when you are just suffering for being a Christian, how much more when you are going against the flow? When you do what other people say, this will not be done, and you say, God says it shall be done, so it has to be done. You're going to suffer, but you need to have inner strength. If you don't have inner strength, the people will destroy you. The work itself will destroy you. It will also demand the practice of devotional disciplines as well as the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, as I fight, I do not just fight aimlessly, but I discipline my body so that when I have preached to others, I am not disqualified myself. Have you realized that sometimes it's so sad and we don't see how sad this is. When a man of God has done so much and he has raised sons and daughters who have gone to do great things and one day he falls. And you know, it's as if what he has done as a personal testimony is erased 
Friends, for us to continue, we need to practice devotional disciplines. Fast, pray, read the word, you know, sit in solitude, seek God. Why? Because if you don't, you will realize that none of us is strong enough to carry this thing to the end on his own. Is that okay? It will demand detachment from certain relationships, seasonally or permanently. It does not always mean those relationships will be bad ones. It will also be relationships that are depleting instead of replenishing. There are bad relationships where the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. And most people here still want to keep them. Can we just bring it home a little bit? How many of us still want to keep your unsaved partners and you are not even married, but you still want to run with your boyfriend and your girlfriend? Can I submit it to you today? When it destroys your calling in God, accept that it was your choice. Don't blame anything or anyone. Bad company corrupts good character. Simple. It's not me, it's the Bible. You understand? So there are those bad relationships where people speak the language you don't speak. How can the two work together unless they? Sometimes the relationships are not sinful in that sense, but they are depleting. You know those Barcelona that you meet with and when you, you part, you are more a sinner than a Christian. Because the way they speak, they don't feed what God wants to put in your life. There are Christians who know that as a group they gossip. You may enjoy the gossip, but that gossip is eating the call away. Because there are certain things like unforgiveness, like gossip, like slander, that will hinder the anointing of God to flow in your life. But in other cases, it's simply, simply a Barnabas soul case. We are not in sin. We are not necessarily talking bad things. We just don't see eye to eye. You remember that? Paul says, let's leave John Mark. Barnabas says, let's take him. Ah, There's no sin there, right? But we are just not seeing eye to eye. And... If we take John Mark, we may end up not doing what we are supposed to do because we'll be fighting on the way. And if you are not married, who you marry in the context of relationships is crucial. For those of us who are already married, just trust God. Because your partner will disqualify you in ministry. It will eat away your calling like you won't believe. You understand? Because they can either strengthen you, replenish you, or draw you back. You understand? And in most cases, the people you are married to are the ones you are advised against. But to listen to And today you act surprised when they are pulling you back. So to those that are unmarried, not the Lord, but I, 
speaking to you. Agree that's what Paul says. Are you married? Don't get married to a sinner. What's the date today? The 30th of June. Don't say I didn't tell you. And that goes to every other person in this house who's not married. Don't get married to a... The Bible says if you are married to an unbeliever, do not divorce him or her. Perhaps by God's grace they will be saved. But by the time they get saved, you will have been sued yourself. You would know that whew, it was not a good idea, but whew, thank God. But there are also unbelievers that are nicer than Christians, you know. If you are married to one of those, thank God and just pray for them. But if you are not married, don't marry a sinner. And may I also say, okay. If I know you are not married, you are single now. And you come to ask us to let you marry a sinner. We're not going to do it. Akira, uh-huh. <laughs> I've already told you. If you bring us a sinner, we're not going to do that. The Bible says, when you are a woman, or a woman, or a man, and your, your spouse dies, when you marry, you must go and read in First Corinthians chapter 7. If you choose to marry, marry only those that are in the Lord. How much more when you are not even a widow? You must marry someone who is in the... Agree? I'm not saying you should. I'm saying you must. Especially if you are part of this church. Failing which... Now I'm not going to do it. And none of the elders who want to remain part of this leadership will do it. <laughs> the different merits is when you get saved and you are already in that relationship of marriage. You, you understand that type of thing? Or whatever the case may be, you have children, you have been customarily married. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone like Buleng, like Emily. If you just bring a taxi driver and you say, I just met this Masham plan, we will not do it. Better a taxi driver who is saved than a CEO who is not. But it's still your choice. Remember, the fact that we won't do it in this church does not mean you don't have to marry him. You can go to the magistrate. They will do it there. Except that when you now have problems and the sinner tells you that I am a sinner. When I do, I only do sin. Because out of my life flows sin. I wish I can say don't come running to us, but I know you will. So. And so, friends, there will be opposition, intimidation, and even death threats when you 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 fulfilling the call of God. But if you stay on course, God's grace is sufficient. There will also be great fruit when you do what you are called to do. Uh, you, 
that's almost one criteria when you know that God has called me to do this. You feel inadequate, but when you do it, it produces great fruit. Even if you are not feeling good about yourself. Those who preach know. Sometimes you, you preach and you think, what a mess. And uh, the, the boy and are sitting there, what a message. <laughs> you will resign many times in your heart out of discouragement and many other afflictions. But the Lord will see you through if you keep your eyes focused on him. Jude says he's able to keep you from stumbling and falling. How many people have served God in this church? And at one point you felt like leaving the church. Ha! The rest of you, where have you been? <laughs> Friends, in any church when you serve, you are going to be hurt. And you are going to resign in your heart. And this church is not an exception. The call is not for the few. If you walk in the call, if you serve, you are going to be hurt. You will be so ached in your heart. You will be pained. And you will think, I thought Christians were angels. That was a terrible thought. They are not. What you, the Bible says we should be is not what we already are. So do not approach it like, you know, they are humble people. No, not everyone is humble. Not everyone is forgiving in the life of the church. You all understand. If you want to check, check yourself. Let's not even talk about your neighbor. Think about the stuff that you feel. I feel strong about this issue. Yeah, but the Bible still says you must forgive. But you still feel strong, don't you? Are you an angel? You know, even if you were married to yourself, you'd still be unhappy. <laughs> On other occasions, right? Because there are things you don't like about yourself as we speak now. Like it? So you understand that you will resign. Sometimes you resign even from yourself. Have you not? Where you think, I, 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 I am so useless. You've never felt like that. You people are strong. <laughs> Sometimes you think, I'm not doing enough to bring God glory. Sometimes you think, I should be better than what I am. You know all of that. But friends, that sense of resignation cannot overcome God's grace on your life. Shall we stand up? The last one says, The call of God brings great fulfillment in your life despite all you have to face once you have counted the cost. Once you have counted the the, the, the call of God will bring fulfillment. So when people say, I'm happy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing my call in God. No, they should say to you, I have counted the cost. I know what is to have plenty. I also know what it means to be poor. But I've learned to be content. I don't have preferences anymore except God's will. I know that I can be afflicted with all kinds of sufferings. But it doesn't take away the fact that I will fulfill my call. That's why Paul says, I had a thorn in my flesh. A messenger of Satan who tormented me. But even 
when he was that tormented, he says, I was shipwrecked, I was beaten, I was hungry. All these things that have happened, all the attacks from the enemy that sought to discredit my life, my marriage, my testimony. He says to Timothy, Timothy, I have fought. I have ran the race. I fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. In the midst of all these things. Have I always felt confident? No. Sometimes Romans chapter 7 says, When I wanted to do good, evil was here with me. I did not do the good I wanted to do. But the bad I did not want to do, guess what? I did. And at that time I felt that if I do what I do not want to do, then it's no longer I who does it. But the sin that lives in me, who will save me from this body of death. Oh, what a wretched man I am. But thank to God for Jesus Christ. You understand that? There's a cost. And so he says, of all these things, I have concluded Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I have concluded that in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I have concluded that when I go through all the sufferings and the pains, the plenty and the lack, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the call of God has a nature that goes against the flow. We carry the cross. But you know what's, what's beautiful? When we die with him, we live with him. So let us not resist dying. For in death, we resurrect and live in the newness of life in victory. Now we live knowing that there is now no condemnation. I can trip today. It's not the end of the call. It's part of the cost.